back to the show today. I was uh, very much rebuked yesterday for not giving the introduction. Wow. <laughs> for shame. Oh, wow. Okay, a little speaking, hyperbole. Speaking yeah. of pastors and hyperbole. <laughs> yeah. So on the program today, uh, Pastor Jonathan, um, you know, you've mentioned this before, but I go when I was coming out into the Reformed Church, you were the first pastor I sent an email to. I think you still have that email somewhere I hidden do, I in do. the I pile don't, of... I don't, I don't, I don't get rid of a, a whole lot of things. I've probably hoarded yeah. too many things. Well, so, Pastor Jonathan from uh, Dayspring, UIC. Dayspring Reformed Church. Um, you know, you can find us on the web at uh, dayspringboise.com. Okay, and then cue up the symbols, please. Andrew, can you please do that? Sheesh. Russell Herman, Herman, Herman <laughs> from Cloverdale, URC. <laughs> Um, yes, uh, been here just a little over seven years, and uh, you can find information about our church at CloverdaleURC.net. I am Josh Bales. I'm from The Well Church. You can find us at The Well Church Boise, I think, somewhere there. Um, Good plug. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just, yeah whatever. Uh, and then we have a guest uh, host with us uh, today, Pastor Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley RPCNA. Yes, and uh, you can find us at BoiseReformedPresbyterian.com. Excellent. Okay. Glad to be here. Did that satisfy your guys? <laughs> oh, that was good. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we are reviewing um, uh, Jonathan Cruz's uh, book, really the topic of what happens when we worship. So we're not talking about that we ought to worship. As evangelicals, we recognize that we ought to worship. We're actually asking the question, well, when we go on the Lord's day to be with the Lord's people, what is actually taking place? So, so beyond just the, well, we're singing and we're praying and we're hearing the word. Okay. But what's happening? And so far Cruz has answered that question, um, in a couple of different ways. He said, first of all, uh, what's happening is the most important thing that we'll ever do. Secondly, he answered, well, what's happening when we worship is that we are being shaped, that we become what we worship. Today, um, he answers the question, what happens when we worship with, here's the answer, we meet with God. So in a special way, uh, on the Lord's day, we, the, the covenant people of God are meeting with God. And, and immediately there's an objection that can come up. A person says, well, I, I don't need to go to church to meet with God, especially in Idaho. I, I can just go up to the woods. I can go up camping. I can go on a nature walk. I can listen to music. I don't need to go to church to meet with God. So what answer, a thoughtful, caring, nuanced reply would you give to that person who says, I don't need to go to church to meet with God? To me, I think I think the passage that those that espouse that belief have to wrestle with and, and is Hebrews 10. So you, you have this passage that's talking about um, Old Covenant, New Covenant worship. In the Old Covenant, they've come to Mount Zion. Mount Sinai, in the New Covenant, we're coming to Mount Zion. And so it's odd to think that you don't have to gather with God's people in worship when the whole working premise of the passage is that they are going and gathering whether they're gathering at Mount Sinai or Mount Zion, it's the congregation coming together. But then in the midst of that conversation, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us 
draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled with clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I mean, you There's don't a, have a passage of single personal pronouns. You yeah. have plural, plural personal pronouns. Yeah. And the call is in the context of worship to say, we're not neglecting to meet together. Yeah. And, and so this whole idea that I can worship whatever, yes, true. That is a true statement. You can worship wherever. Mm-hmm. And and Jesus does say that to at least some effect in John ten or John four that you can. It's not whether you worship on this mountain or in, in the temple. You, you're worshiping in spirit and truth. However, that verse doesn't stand in isolation in the New Testament. You you have to interpret it with the rest of the New Testament. And and the clear teaching of Hebrews ten is God's people gather with God's people to worship, non negotiable. Mm-hmm. Don't don't be like some who neglect neglect this negative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're of those that gather together. Yeah. Um, and so I, I just don't understand the argumentation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to be gracious, but mm-hmm. it really doesn't work um, with I believe the very clear teaching of Hebrews 10. Mm-hmm. And that goes you know from the very like beginning. I mean, well, it goes back through the Old Testament. But even if we just narrow it to the New Testament. You know, in the book of Acts, I mean, we've got people gathering together, meeting with the apostles, listening to their teaching before Jesus ascends on high. Um, he meets on, you know, the first day of the week, usually with his disciples and they're gathered together and he meets. Actually, them. there's no reference so, to him after the resurrection meeting on any other day, but the first right, day of the week. First so. day of the week. Yep. Okay. And usually Sunday evenings, which is a Sunday evening worship plug. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Amen. Love <laughs> yeah. it. There you go. I remember one time I was uh, praying a corporate prayer during church service and it was before the service and it was, it was um, just asking that God would be with us um, in the singing and preaching and praying. And somebody came up to me afterwards and said, why would you pray that God would be with us? God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it, this is the nuance, right? Yeah, like Psalm 30, 139 says that God is everywhere. You can't escape his presence. That's totally true. Mm-hmm. But the Bible recognizes that God does um, give us a, a special um, experience of his presence. Jesus, uh, in Matthew 18, he says, where two or three are gathered in my name. That's right on the heels of of dealing specifically with, with church discipline. So the idea is that when the church gathers, there I am in your midst. So Jesus isn't saying, you know, I'm never with you the rest of the time. He, what he's saying is, no, in a special way. I'm with you when the church gathers. Um, and, and so the person who says, well, I can meet with God up in the woods. Well, that's true, but you're failing to distinguish between like the secular kind of worship that we offer God in our six day a week vocations and the the sacred um, kind of presence of God that we experience as the Lord's people. And I think a failure to see that distinction leads kind of to, to bad conclusions um, it, Joe Beakey's one of Joe Beakey's favorite uh, psalms. You know, he's our speaker coming up at the Boise Reformation Conference this year, October twenty first and twenty second. Um, psalm eighty seven says, "The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwelling places in Jacob." And the idea is, all the other dwelling places is where families gather, where families mm-hmm. worship, where individuals worship. God loves those. 
but he loves the gates of Zion even more. That's the place where the gathered people of God come. Well, there is a place to go to worship, you know, and even in the Old Testament, you know, in Psalm 122, it says, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. It ends with saying, for my brothers and my companions' sake, and for the sake of the house of the Lord. So there's a sense in which going up to going to this place of worship is for not only for my sake, but for my brothers and companions' sake. So there's a, a corporate nature to this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think too, love for God and love for our neighbor is you know tied together. And Jesus' mm-hmm. answer the greatest commandments. But it's specifically with, um, especially with God's people, you know, we will if we love God, we will love His people. Mm-hmm. And we will desire to be with his people. And I think, you know, John speaks to this in First John, where if someone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? So if we claim that, yeah, I love God, I'm going to go off somewhere and worship him on my own. I mean, we're taking away from that. Yeah. horizontal aspect of worship. There are, there are a lot of people who will make a, a statement that they they love God but they don't like his church. Right. Um you know they you know and partly because yes there there have been people that have been hurt mm-hmm. within that corporate body, yeah. you know, be through insensitivities or other things. But what we recognize when we come together as God's people, um it's should be a safe place because we're all sinners. We're all standing before a holy God and you know, imperfect and in our weakness and saying what is man that you're mindful of us? Mm. You know that I mean it's it's amazing. You know the sheer amazement that God has condescended to to speak to His people uh, and that. So I think that you know we need to recognize that some people have been hurt by the church. Um, that's not the that's not God's design for His church. Is right. Uh, you know so every every Sunday. My prayer at, at the dinner table after we've been at church is is very similar, at least in one regard, where I'll say, um, Heavenly Father, thank you that we could be in your house and be under your word and be able to be in your presence and be with your people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think all of those are a gift. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I thought Josh was going to quote Psalm 84 earlier, um, but... How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Mm-hmm. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Mm-hmm. And that really is, right. I think, in just a nutshell, what God would want for us with regard to our approach to gathering with God's people. That we, you know, he goes on to say, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. That that that's where you want to be. You know, Mm -hmm. blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Mm -hmm. It it just makes me wonder. I mean, what do people think heaven is going to be? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you really feel like you're going to be in isolation? Up in the the mountains by a a mountain stream, fishing, fly fishing by yourself and worshiping? I mean, is that what your idea of heaven is? Then I think you have a rude awakening Mm. of an eternity. Um, And and the whole idea is that we as God's people are together. Right. Um, And it says they go from strength to strength. Yeah. That's, you know, we're we're strengthened by that togetherness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Cruz goes on to say in this chapter, so 
what happens when we worship, his, his answer is that God meets with us. He says that in a very real way, when we gather with the Lord's people in worship, there's actually a sense in which we are in heaven or in the heavenly places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He says, and, and he quotes uh, from, and we've quoted this several times now, but from Hebrews 12, uh, 22 through 24, that we have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So there's the sense in which we are we are entering into heaven because we're entering into the worship. We're jo- we're joining, right? We're joining worship with the saints who have already gone before us, the triumphant saints. We're joining worship with the angels who are worshiping before the throne. I mean, how many places I can I can at least I just quoted I just preached through First Corinthians eleven, and one of the regulations for worship grounds it in the fact that the angels are watching. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what does that mean? Well, they're not just merely spectators, although it implies that. It means that they are joining us with worship. I mean, and when you think about that, that. That's a sobering truth. When you come into the house of God and you're singing songs, you're not just singing songs uh, with your own congregation. You're joining with the chorus in heaven. And, that, and that's really the picture that you find all throughout the book of Revelation. Yeah. That it, it, the worship is, is universal. Um, and that's really the idea of, at the end of Hebrews 11, that all of these people of faith, it ends with, um, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Mm-hmm. God will not have his bride in parts. Right. He has to have his bride all together. So these saints of old are waiting for the day when God will bring his church in its entirety into his presence. And that should tell us something about the corporate aspect of worship here. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Gospel for Life. We'll see you next time. 